Hey there, it's me, Aubrey. Do you like what you hear on the Ask Aubrey podcast and find yourself thinking about what it would be like to work with me directly? For me to weigh in on the things you're going through and help to support you through it on a path toward growth and wellness and self-worth? Well, you can hire me as your coach. I'm a certified life coach specializing in self-worth for women and queer people. I have a few slots open for life coaching clients in the new year, and I offer a totally free consultation, including a sample coaching session, so you can see what coaching is like and decide if it's right for you at no cost. If you're interested or even just curious, you can sign up for your free sample session at my website. That's aubreyhenderson.com. Let's talk. I can't wait to support you as you grow towards your goals and into your best and most gorgeous self. Hey there, my name is Aubrey Henderson. I'm a self-worth coach and professional calm in the chaos. I believe that when you're feeling stuck in your life and you can't decide on the next right step, that getting some perspective or a pep talk from someone outside of your shoes can be an absolute game changer. This podcast is that pep talk. Every week, I'll share my responses to listener questions, real life coaching sessions, and interviews about topics that you can connect with and learn from. All things that will help you to reconnect with your own self-worth and inner goodness and vision for your life so you can feel great and get shit done. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey babes, how's it going? So this week on the podcast, we're going to do something a little different. Um, We're going to have a shorter episode, something a little quicker. I'm going to do some rapid fire questions. Um, Just wanted to break things up. I know we've had some longer episodes as I've brought other folks into conversation. You know, last week we talked with my amazing wife about reality television. I've had a couple of coaching sessions on here. And so, um, you know, just wanted to give y'all a shorter episode um, this week. Uh, We will have some coaching sessions, some interviews coming. So I have those ready for you and teed up for you in the next few weeks. But for this week, just a little breather, a little shorter episode. And what I wanted to focus on today was actually back to listener questions. Um, I had a few shorter questions that have been waiting um, from y'all in my inbox. And so I wanted to really, you know, get back to some of those and answer a few of those for you today. So without further ado, let's just dig in. This first question says, do you think people have one soulmate? Multiple soulmates? Question mark. Are soulmates real? So my immediate reaction to this question is no. Um, I don't believe that people, I definitely don't believe that people have one soulmate. I think if I'm really honest, if I, if I think about this, I, I think that compatibility happens in kind of like tears, if that makes sense. Tears like T-I-E-R-S, not like tears like crying. Um, <laughs> but that we have kind of tears of compatibility with people. And so you know, we all have kind of like that top tier of the people that we're the most compatible with, whatever that means for us. Um, But then we have like a tier below that that's people who like generally we could be really happy with. And I think that tier is probably larger. There are probably more people in it. Um, I think when it comes down to it, we all have a number of people who, who we could be compatible with and 
be in a relationship with that could make us feel valued and happy. Um, but I don't think everyone has one single perfect soulmate. And if you're, you know, if you don't meet that person, then you're shit out of luck. I think that's a really sad way to kind of view compatibility and to view love. And I think that soulmate concept, this idea that we have just one single soulmate, puts so much pressure on us to find, you know, that one relationship that is perfect. And that, you know, the idea is if you have a soulmate, if they're perfectly tailor-made for you, that you won't have any shit to work through. And that's unrealistic. And so, you know, no matter what, even if you find someone that is like entirely compatible, that you have the perfect amount of things in common, the perfect amount of traits that are complementary and different. And by the way, like I say all of this, there is no perfect formula. This, This doesn't exist. But like, even if that were true, you would still have shit you had to work through. You would still have things about that person that piss you off and they would have things about you that piss them off. And you would still have to communicate and do the work. And I think this soulmate idea is one to like give us hope that you know, there's like a perfect person out there for us. And I do think, so if you're, if you're thinking I'm saying, no, there's no one out there who's right for you, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are many people who could be the right person for you, who could make you happy. You may or may not be with one of them right now. But yeah, I also think that you're going to have to work for it. I think the soulmate concept is a way that we kind of, you know, if we don't want to have to communicate or overcome communication roadblocks in a relationship or express our needs or show who we really are. We kind of try to override that and avoid that by saying, well, if I have to, if I have to say what I need, then this person doesn't really get me. They're not my true soulmate. And I think that's bullshit. Um, So yeah, I guess that's my answer to that question. Um, Okay. So the next question, hey, Aubrey, So this feels like a dumb question now since I've been following you the whole time you've been a coach, but what exactly is a life coach? Is a professional coach different from a life coach? I know you also got a counseling degree. Is that related? I think you said you would be doing a podcast on this anyway, so maybe you'll answer my question there. Thanks. Okay, so this is a good question. This is not a dumb question, even if you've been following me for a long time. And I have said that I would answer it on the podcast. Um, So here is me doing that now. Um, Yeah, so life coaching and therapy are different things. And so kind of the main distinction, I'll I'll start there to kind of separate these two things out. So the idea behind therapy is to kind of focus on, and this is really, really kind of broad based and speaking in broad strokes, but Um, And I think therapy is amazing. So I'll just say that outright. I'm a big therapy evangelist. I think that therapy can be super beneficial to most, if not all people. But anyway, the idea behind therapy is that you're focusing kind of on past experiences, often past traumas and issues you've gone through. And it's in order to change habits or, you know, kind of self-destructive patterns uh, to work through painful feelings Um, sometimes to treat like a mental health diagnosis or illness. Um, And so in this sense, therapy can kind of focus on the past and also on introspection and inner analysis and helping to kind of resolve either, um, you know, carried pain from past experiences or like symptoms of like mental health concerns, treatment of of mental illness um, in the hope of, you know, creating a happier more stable present and future. Um, And so in life coaching, 
a client works with a coach who is not a healthcare professional. So this person is not treating an illness of any kind. Uh, But the goal in life coaching is really to sort of clarify your goals and identify any obstacles or behaviors that are getting in the way of you meeting your goals. So looking at the goal you want to achieve and what is getting in the way and helping to clear those things out of the way by creating an action plan um, and some accountability to achieve those results. And so, yeah, basically as you, you know, embark on the process of life coaching, you are you are acknowledging your current reality as the client as kind of your your neutral ground and you are more action based from that point forward. It's it's a little less focused on the inner analysis kind of piece and more around the forward facing action steps. Now that's not to say that like life coaching isn't gonna, you know, reference your past at all. And that's not to say that therapy isn't going to ever address your future or your or set goals or anything like that. Um, but this is kind of the most simplistic way to think about it. And so, yeah, a life coach really enables a client to kind of take control of their life and take concrete action to kind of steer it toward their goals. And so, you know, both life coaches and therapists work to enable their clients to make positive changes in their lives, to you know, um, reach goals to, you know, um, kind of actualize changes that they want to see in their lives. Um, so there is some overlap there. It's not like they're, you know, completely opposite or, you know, radically different concepts, but they, you know, focus on different things. Um, and so I am a certified professional life coach. I did go through a certification program, um, Life coaching is not a highly regulated field. So to be a life coach, you do not have to have a certification. There is not like a regulating body that is checking to see if you're certified and that you'll like get fined or get in trouble for practicing as a life coach when you're not certified. Now, all that is to say, um, it still obviously increases your credibility to have gone to school, to be a life coach, to have taken a course, to have you know, worked in a program. And there is an accrediting body. It's called the um, International Coaching Federation, the ICF. And this accrediting body basically um, accredits life coaching programs um, so that folks know which programs are legitimate and cover kind of what the ICF has determined to be the core tenets of, you know, folks learning to become a life coach. And that includes kind of like coaching fundamentals, but also some element of like ICF certified programs typically have you um, observed and receiving feedback from someone who is an experienced coach themselves. And so there is that kind of practice element to it. So that's a program I went through. um, And I went through a program called the Coach Training Alliance. So really liked that program. It took me um, about six months And I, yeah, have completed that. So I'm now a certified professional coach. Um, Counseling counseling and therapy, on the other hand, is very highly regulated and for good reason. So particularly because counselors, therapists um, are often treating some kind of mental health concern. So folks with depression or anxiety will go to a therapist to address those very real mental health concerns. And in order to be able to responsibly administer treatment to folks, um, you need to be certified. You need to be licensed and you need to be kind of maintaining that license over time and, and meeting requirements for it. And so I um, I did study counseling. Um, I attended a master's program in counseling, but I did not 
sit for the exam or get the internship hours required to be licensed. So I ended my um, graduate program early. So did a good, good, good amount of um, classroom coursework, but not the licensure portion. So I'm not a licensed therapist, um, but I do have a pretty significant background in studying mental health and working in various mental health settings. But all that to say, I am not a licensed therapist. Um, I do think that that background in mental health brings sort of a unique perspective for me. It lets me, you know, what what it honestly lets me do is recommend people who are seeking me out for life coaching that they might actually be more suited to therapy. If someone is coming to me and saying, you know, I'm looking for life coaching because I have obsessive compulsive disorder and would like to get it under control. My response is going to be like, thank you so much for trusting me, but that this is that I like my life coaching actually is not something that um, is going to help you to treat a mental mental health issue or, or mental illness. Um, and so I'd refer them to a therapist or a psychologist. Yeah. So in short, um, therapy really focuses on kind of those past experiences traumas can treat mental health diagnoses, whereas life coaching helps a client to set and accomplish goals, helps them see, you know, where they currently are, where they want to be and what's getting in the way and, you know, shift their limiting beliefs and mindsets and ultimately to view their life, their relationships and themselves from a completely new perspective. Okay. So the next question asks, would you ever do a podcast on the Enneagram? So the answer to this is yes. Um, I'll first talk about what the Enneagram is for anyone who doesn't know. So basically the Enneagram um, refers to a system of nine different personality types or styles, um, with each of them kind of representing a worldview or an archetype um, to do with the way that people think, feel, and act. Uh, in relation to the world, to others, and in relation to themselves. So, I mean, I think of this as way more than just a personality type, and that might be me sounding like a total nerd, but fuck it, I am a total nerd, especially when it comes to the Enneagram. So, you know, this is something that you could definitely, you know, enjoy at kind of a shallow level and not really look too deeply into, which is also fine and is fun, and be like, oh, I'm a type two, I love to help people and don't care about myself or my own needs, LOL. And that's fine. But I think what's really interesting about the Enneagram and what has gotten me and so many others so obsessed with it is this idea that the Enneagram is a tool for introspection and for self-development and self-awareness in a really unique way. And so, you know, if you think about you know, the nine types of the Enneagram. There are nine basic types. I mean, the real summary, this is like the most quick and dirty summary of each type. But like type one is kind of the moral perfectionist. There is an absolute black and white, right and wrong, and everything must be right. If it is not right, it is not good. And very critical, most often most critical of themselves, but also people who like really get shit done and get it done with excellence. Um, Type two is kind of the stereotypical helper nurturer, um, focuses on nurturing others and doesn't really focus on themselves or their needs, pretends that they don't have any needs themselves and then gets um, resentful and hurt when others don't rise up to meet those needs. And so there's there's a lot of resentment there for that type. Um, I know this because I am a type two. 
Type three is more of the outward facing achiever. Um, so really focused on success in the eyes of others, um, very competitive, uh, different from the type one in that the type one is, is kind of focused on success and doing right and good by their own internal standards, whereas a type three wants to appear successful, um, but is also, you know, wanting to achieve goals and constantly kind of be the best possible version of themselves and achieve these personal bests. And so often they can be interpreted as being fake or being image obsessed, um, but really at their best are very goal oriented and get a lot of shit done um, and meet a lot of their goals. Type fours are kind of the romantic type. And so often very creative, very focused on being unique and being their authentic selves, which is awesome. Um, this type can also, though, get really kind of like wrapped up in their internal world of feelings um, and can kind of get stuck in that loop of melancholy. Um, sometimes there's a fear that there is, you know, something fundamentally different or wrong about them in a negative way. Type five um, is kind of really focused on knowing a ton about a ton of different things, very much a collector and keeper of information, often more introverted um, and not as prone to making connections with others um, and seeing deep connection and vulnerability as kind of a liability. So preferring to kind of be self-reliant and able to, you know, take care of shit themselves, not really needing anybody else. A type six is really focused on kind of stability, safety, um, both emotional and in the world around them, is often very kind of prepared for the worst. They are very trustworthy, very reliable, very loyal. Um, I read somewhere that type six is the most common type, which is a good thing. We should all be thankful for that. Um, type sixes know what to do in an emergency, want to stick to, you know, kind of the rules that that keep everyone safe. Um, but often, as you can imagine, these types can end up feeling really anxious and really struggling to, you know, feel like they can trust others. Uh, type seven is often called the enthusiast. So these types are often really busy. They're really sociable. They are, you know, have their hands in a ton of different activities, like to try new things, be spontaneous. Um, but the shadow side to that is, is that, you know, for the most part, these, these type sevens are pursuing all of these fun, interesting, stimulating things because they want to avoid stopping and kind of feeling emotional pain. And so there's kind of this avoidance of, of really feeling feelings that are difficult um, or challenging to sit with. Um, a type eight is often called the challenger. So this type is, you know, um, somebody who's really confident, who walks into a room and kind of commands the room. Somebody who you know, will, it does not shy away from conflict, will address something when, you know, they think that something is unjust or, you know, when they feel that some kind of information is incorrect or they disagree. And, you know, the shadow side to this can be that, that folks are seen as kind of steamrolling others, not making space for others. They, these folks can be viewed as being aggressive or combative um, and really, you know, seeking out conflict. And then there's a type nine. So the type nines are um, sometimes known as the peacemaker. They are conflict averse, um, but they will, to avoid conflict, they will actively seek harmony. So type nines really would like everyone's voice to be heard. They would like 
everyone to feel comfortable and happy with a given outcome of a situation, really looking to create peace and harmony uh, for the group. But what sometimes happens for them is that their needs will get eclipsed um, by others because they'll often find it easier for them and for their preferences and their needs to kind of disappear in the background in favor of the group needs being met. And so all that is to say, I think you should totally read more. I mean, if any of those, if your ear perked up at any of those and you don't already know your Enneagram type, I would highly recommend reading more into it. Um, You know, there are a ton of great books and websites, all kinds of shit on Instagram for free that you can you can read more about the Enneagram. But, you know, what I really love about it is this idea that for every type, there are kind of outward qualities and things that are viewed as strengths or like, quote, positive traits. And then there are things that are blind spots or challenges. So for me as a two, I'll use myself as an example. You know, not only do I know as a type two, like, oh, that's so funny. You know, my what like I see a meme on Instagram that's like what what each type does at Thanksgiving and like oh a type two like make sure everyone has exactly the dessert they want or you know something stereotypically really nurturing and caring and that's funny but also I can you know read a book about the Enneagram and self-development and see that for a type two you know, there's kind of this fear around addressing our own needs. And for a type two, we we get so much of our identity and we demonstrate so much of our of our, you know, perceived worth or our worth to others with how we're able to caretake and nurture and make others feel good that we're afraid that if we have our own needs, and especially if our own needs are in conflict with someone else's, that we'll be rejected, that we won't have value anymore, that we'll be on our own. And so that's something that, you know, you only get if you kind of like dive into that deeper level. And then even more so, I can see that like, what are the paths for me for for growth and development? What are the things I can think about? And one of those is like really is getting comfortable asserting your own needs because not only is it not going to cause people to leave you and abandon you simply for having needs, but often it can lead to deeper intimacy. It can lead to more authentic connection with people. And like you all know that I've read a ton about the Enneagram because I have brought this into this podcast so many times, this concept of, you know, being vulnerable with people, showing that you have needs and that actually not leading to, you know, rejection like we think it might, but actually it leading to deeper intimacy. And so, yeah, I think the Enneagram is a really valuable tool for that reason. I think it lets you think about yourself and how you interact with the world in a different way. And something that's really interesting about the Enneagram is I really think of it as being, you know, a way that we can look at how we got our needs met as a child and how that has now manifested itself and how we've adapted that into adulthood. And that's what, you know, in reading about each Enneagram type, there are often like formative types of childhood experiences or environments that that led us to being the type that we are. And so for me, you know, growing up, I was in a caretaker role. I was raised by a single mom. I was the oldest of, you know, when I was growing up, I was the oldest of six kids since I've moved out. Um, you know, my family has had two more kiddos join, so I'm now the oldest of six. And, you know, I really, I had that caretaker role. And so now as an adult, I that's kind of just how I think about myself automatically. And so taking care of others is the way that I demonstrate my value and kind of the role that I naturally play. And so thinking about how, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be. 
you know, how I can, you know, lean into the ways that that is adaptive for me and the ways that that's positive for me, but not feel like I'm stuck in that forever. And so the Enneagram lets you do that. I think it's pretty fucking rad, y'all. I really do. And so, yes, I do want to do a podcast episode or more than one episode about the Enneagram. And, you know, what I'm actually thinking is about how I can incorporate the Enneagram into a sort of like mini series of coaching sessions based on Enneagram types. Um, So if this is something that is interesting to you, or if you're like, I am an Enneagram type six and I want to be coached by you, um, please reach out because I would love to um, incorporate you into a new series. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty rad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.